Uh, thank you so much for having me again. Uh, first, I want to thank uh, Samuel and Pastor Yvonne, of course, um, for making this happen. But more importantly, this topic, this talk itself, uh, wouldn't have been possible without uh, without our many conversations. And we're we're sharing our lives and talking through some of the difficulties that uh, that we're going through. And and we came to this thing called communicating kingdom culture. And I just want to thank you so much for that because. Um, this is something that's been very passionate uh, for a very long time. Um, uh, it did say that I, you know, most of my career was in family ministry, but it was also, um, I've been in education department all my life, and uh, it's always been a passion of mine to um, just kind of, um, like, I had millions of questions. As I was growing up, I had millions of questions, and I made my pastor just crazy because I was just, just kept asking these millions of questions. and and he. I'm going to be honest with you. He he didn't answer these questions, um, you know, satisfactorily. You know, I was just like, man, it just doesn't make any sense. So guess what? I said, you know, I'm going to go to seminary where I could learn this stuff. And guess what? Seminary didn't teach me that either. So uh, I had to, um, when I went into ministry, I ended up working with a bunch of uh, apologetic um, uh, organizations. And a lot of people don't like to hear it, uh, this name anymore, but... RZIM, I work with RZIM, Stand to Reason, uh, so that we can help our students understand um, apologetics and uh, kingdom culture and communicating our faith cross-culturally and to unbelievers. And um, it just, it's just been a passion of mine, and we've been working on it. And as uh, Sam, Pastor Yvonne, and I were talking, it just, just came to light. And for me to share this with you is just um, it's just a great honor and pleasure. So before you begin, um, where is all this actually coming from? Uh, what, what do you mean by communicating kingdom culture? Well, we know that we are all living in a post-Christian world, right? So Christianity is uh, no longer the dominant worldview, and it makes our uh, it makes our lives very complicated because. We now have to contend with so many different worldviews as we um, as we work, as we study, go to school, and and basically live our, our daily lives. Uh, the reality uh, is that number one, let's just be honest, uh, we can't even bring up Jesus because they don't even believe in God. They don't even believe that God exists. So how can we share the gospel to people that don't even believe that God exists? Right. So. There's an issue there, and we're constantly dealing with this. Uh, I I wish you know we were back in the '80s where we could just walk up to people and say, "Hey, you know, uh, I want to talk about Jesus. What do you think?" Right? And you could actually have conversations like that. But these days, uh, it, uh, it's really really hard to do that. And I think over the years, you know, uh, I think many of us lost our confidence in the truth, right? And I think. What happened? What ended up happening was that we resorted to uh, subjectivity. Uh, you believe, uh, you know, ideas like you believe what you believe, and I believe what I believe, and there is actually no objective truth. It's all relative and subjective, and this is the prevailing idea in many of our social circles. Sadly, we see this in many of our churches, and we see this in many Christian individuals as they for lack of a better term, as they conform to the worldviews that are surrounding them. So today, I want to show 
um, how we can be confident about the existence of God and that we are still part of God's kingdom. And this kingdom is very objective. It's not subject. So, to, uh, so through today's talk, I hope to uh, give you some information and communication tips that will help you gain more confidence in God's existence. And when we, uh, when we live with that confidence, uh, you'll become the fruit of that kingdom culture. And basically, when we are confident in something, we usually, we tend to find a way to communicate it. So I think confidence is very, very important. So I hope and pray that our talk will be helpful to you. So let's get started. First, first, let's define what kingdom culture is. What is kingdom culture? Uh, first, I want to separate the two words. What is kingdom? Well, kingdom, we all know this word. It's an, individ- it's an individual's, uh, you know, rule or authority over, uh, you know, his or her subject. But in, in God's kingdom, what we're saying is that God's kingdom is God's rule uh, and authority over his creation, over the entire universe. And the topic of kingdom is actually pretty important for us because Jesus himself taught more about kingdom than almost any other topic. The Greek word for kingdom, Basileia, is used 126 times in the four Gospels. So kingdom is very relevant for us and is very significant in our lives. So then that's kingdom. What is culture? And the simplest definition uh, of culture, I think, is just what is the way of life? Uh, Why do we do what we do? The way we do things, the way we think, those are all culture. Now. If we put kingdom and culture together, we get this. Kingdom culture then is us living with the knowledge and attitude that uh, God exists and he, uh, God exists and he created this universe and everything in it. That's, that's one thing that we must uh, affirm. And he is the sovereign authority over the entire universe. Whatever he created he is the sovereign authority. Now, this attitude, while it's good for us to have, as you can imagine, this attitude rubs people the wrong way, right? They think that this kind of attitude is actually pretty arrogant and pretentious. And nobody likes a, you know, a pretentious, arrogant person. So this makes us uh, communicating this culture um, very, very difficult. But it doesn't have to be. And this is why I'm having this talk. The difficulties uh, of sharing the kingdom culture is because it does sound so um, pretentious and arrogant, right? But it doesn't have to be. I'm just telling you that it can be very respectful and very loving. But the first thing that we have to acknowledge is that the kingdom culture is objective. And we have to get over this. Otherwise, none of this will work. And that's why this title is Communicating Kingdom Culture Than Anything Else. So kingdom culture is objective. It's not subjective, right? Which means by definition, kingdom culture transcends all cultures. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter who you are in this world, entire universe, right? Kingdom culture transcends all cultures, right? So therefore, kingdom culture cannot be subjective. It's objective. 
Well, let's define actually um, what is the meaning of objectivity in our context. Whatever we're saying is true, object, ob- objectivity is that it's true regardless of human intervention or consciousness. So to say that kingdom culture is um, objective means this. And actually, I, I want to read for you the definition from this book, Dictionary of Jesus and the Gospels by Joel Green and others. And this is uh, basically what it says. Sorry. And this is what it says. It says, kingdom does not depend for it, its existence on human activity. Humans do not create, build, construct, extend, or render present the kingdom. The kingdom originates with God. It draws its character from God, and it precedes any human response to it, even though, and this is very important, even though its presence invites or demands human response. So you guys, kingdom culture is objective. This is basically the definition of kingdom is, a, is that it's, it's an objective reality. This means that all creatures are subject to this objective culture, whether we like it or not, because it transcends humanity, uh, whether we like it or not, it's here and we can't get away from it. It's with us. So let's look at what Jesus teaches about kingdom and it kind of confirms what this definition was, right? And Jesus says, and it all comes from the book of Matthew. And Jesus says that, that kingdom is God's, right? Kingdom is coming. Kingdom is near us. Kingdom uh, has come uh, upon us. Kingdom needs to be entered. Kingdom is to be preached and kingdom is designed to grow. This is very important. Kingdom is designed to grow. So we are the tools and you and I, we are the tools that communicate this kingdom culture wherever we go. And what's important is that in Matthew 16, 19, Jesus gave us this authority to invoke, right? It doesn't come from us, but he gave us the authority to invoke this kingdom culture on this earth. And Matthew 16, 19 says this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's Matthew 16, 19. You guys, based on this, we are pretty powerful people, right? So how can we communicate this kingdom culture without being arrogant and pretentious? Because everything that I've talked about so far is just, just says that Christianity and you know God's kingdom is just it transcends everything, and we're above it. And you guys are kind of below us, or you know, not us, but above below God, and you're subject to God. So how do we communicate this uh, kingdom culture without being arrogant and pretentious? And there are many different ways, right? Um, we could we could declare it, right? I mean, uh, where I work. Um, uh, we, our office, where me and Dr. Newman share our office in Koreatown, is on Wilshire. And when I go out to lunch, there's always this guy. I don't know if Dr. Newman uh, saw him before, but he's always there. And he's got a megaphone and he's calling out sinners. And he says, you know, he says, you're, you're all going to hell. You know, this, he says it boldly. And, you know, he says, turn from your sins and come back to the Lord. The kingdom is at hand. And he's literally being John the Baptist, right? 
And you know, that's just one of the ways I think you know you could share uh, the kingdom culture. I don't know if that's such a good idea. You guys can do that too. I don't know if you guys um, watch the show The Office. Uh, it's kind of an old show, right? I don't know if you guys watch it, but uh, there's a character, the main character. His name is Michael Scott, and one, and he's having this financial uh, issues, and he has to. He decides that he needs to declare bankruptcy, right? So he goes to the office, uh, and he goes, "Hey, listen up, everybody! I declare bankruptcy, right?" He just he just declares it, right? Uh, I guess you guys could go to your office. Is it tomorrow's Friday? So you guys could go back to the office tomorrow and say, "Hey, listen up, everybody! I declare the kingdom of God in this place." You guys could do that, but uh, I don't think it would be a good idea. I think that there is a way for us to communicate the kingdom of kingdom culture and communicate the gospel with love, respect, and gentleness. And we're not strangers. We're not strangers to this idea because I think all of us, uh, to a certain extent, whether it's um, whether it's vocational or whether it's in just society, we all we've all been empowered to lead and. When we lead, um, we have to do it with respect. We have to do it with gentleness, and we have to do it with love. Otherwise, uh, you're not going to get anywhere. So, um, yeah, kingdom culture transcends all cultures, and it is objective, and everyone is subject to it. But we can communicate that with love, respect, and gentleness. And I think that's precisely what First Peter three fifteen is teaching. First uh, Peter three fifteen says this, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense, and that's important to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Uh, this passage teaches that people will come to us for answers. Why? Uh, because we're the only ones with hope. And if you really think about it. Christianity makes a bold statement, right? That Jesus is the only way. And if this is true, and it is, anyone who rejects that truth is by contrast hopeless. And we're going to see this a little bit later on. But when we look at true atheists, and we have to emphasize true atheists, because there are a lot of atheists who really are not atheists. True atheists uh, who are really true to themselves has to say that reality, you know, who we are and our environment, our life itself, reality itself, as we know it, is an illusion, right? And let me repeat that. True atheists who are true to themselves has to say that reality, as we know it, is an illusion. And I don't know a statement that is more hopeless than that. Well, we have to communicate this hope to the hopeless. But check out what it says. It says to make a defense, not offense. And it says to do it with gentleness and respect. You guys, we're going to encounter all kinds of different worldviews, different cultures. And if we don't approach uh, these different worldviews and cultures with gentleness and respect, they are not going to respect you. And more importantly, they're not going to listen to you. And this is so important. So we have to remember that as we communicate our faith to others, we have to do it with gentleness and respect. With that said, we have to be very mindful of the people who we come across. Now, we're dealing with our everyday life, right? So everyday life. So 
we technically know the environment. We actually know the very people that we're going to be running into day in and day out. And these are the people that we're supposed to be communicating our culture with, or the kingdom culture with. So we technically know who we're going to uh, run into. So it is very important that we are very mindful of the people that we're going to come across on our day, in our daily lives, right? And there are basically four types of people that we can run into. Uh, there's the first one is the fighter, right? I call it the fighter. And it, I think, I, I believe it's, they're all in your notes. And the fighter is basically out to get you. Um, they don't care about the truth, right? They're pretty much, uh, they're, they're usually very well prepared and they're out to prove you wrong. And they're, pro- uh, they're out to prove that you're dumb, delusional, irrational. And sometimes they're out to, to prove that you're evil, right? And um, it's, and they're just uh, a lot of them can come to you um, uh, in a very belligerent way, right? And we were talking about this very topic, and Pastor Ivan told a story, and it reminded me of an encounter that I had with uh, this kind of a fighter type of person. Um, it, and it might not look like it, but I used to be a um, art director. I'm, I still am, actually. I used to be an art director in the movie industry in Hollywood. And I had, I worked with a lot of studios. I worked with a lot of uh, different movie projects. And um, I was working with this studio person and I haven't worked with her for a very long time. And uh, she came into the office, uh, my firm, and and we're just kind of sitting, getting ready to work. But man, as soon as she sat down, she just started going off about, um, she started bashing just Christian. She said how like Christians are like, you know, homophobes and, you know, they're, they're bigots, you know, and, you know, they're, they're irrational. They're just, she just like going off. And, and I was, and, and to be honest with you, you know, I, I was just, I was getting kind of angry. I was getting offended. And my, and what I said was, and, and, and we'll learn a little bit later that how bad my reaction was, but I said to her, you know, I'm Christian. And you guys, that's a bad, bad reaction in that environment. And I told her, hey, I'm Christian. And you know what she said? She just said, you are? Well, you know, F you too. And then she just walked out. And we had a project to finish, right? And, and she just walked out. I'm like, what just happened, right? And I was so, um, it, but she was just a fighter. You know, she, you know, again, I reacted badly, but she was just one of those person that just hated Christianity and, I don't think she cares about the truth. She just needed to just let everyone know that Christianity is foolish, right? And and stupid. And and I was the person just sitting there. And what's so interesting about that? And this is a totally off topic, but if I was um, if I was like you know light of the world, if I was like a city that cannot be hidden, I wonder if she uh, would have you know said those kind of things to me. If has she? If, if she knew that I was Christian, I think she was kind of in a place where, hey, you know, Spencer's, you know, I've never seen Spencer with the character of a Christian. So I think I feel safe to say these things to him. And I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I repented a lot, but, you know, there's some um, truth there. So, you know, I have to repent for that. But anyways, that's the fighter, right? Uh, so I think I'm sure that you guys all know fighters in your life. And there's the, the second person would be the I don't care person. Uh, people just, these people are so tough to talk to because they just don't care about anything. They don't care about, when I say they don't care about any of this is 
this topic of you know God's existence and uh, the gospel. They don't they they couldn't care less. And my brother is uh, one of these persons. And by the way, um, I'm the only Christian in my family. In a in a very extended family, I'm the only Christian. And my sister, it was actually a fighter. So my sister and I would get in this fight all the time. And we just, it would get so heated up. And then, and then we would just turn to our brother and go, Hey, Don, what do you think? Right. And then he'd left a long time ago because he didn't, he doesn't, he doesn't care. He didn't want to hear it. He doesn't, he doesn't like these kind of talks. But it was, uh, at least my sister, uh, because we always talked, we were, you know, I actually got to share the gospel with her, but my brother, he never wanted to talk about this. So it's, it's, it was a lot harder for me to talk about the gospel with him. And in fact, uh, we live very far apart and, you know, we don't see each other often, but yeah, my brother is the only one that I didn't get to uh, share the gospel with because he just never wants to talk about it. Yeah, so it's tough. So I don't care person is, is really difficult. Um, the one that is really pleasure to talk to is the, I want the truth person. These people are searching for the truth and when you run into someone like this you could talk to them for hours and and um one time one of my church members husband was a non-believer and he didn't believe that god existed and he ridiculed god i made fun of her all the time and she was very sad by that and so she came to see me and say hey you know um, my husband is like this and like this and i said hey if your husband ever wants to talk about anything about Christianity, whatever, yeah, I'm, I'm there. I'm willing to do it. I'm, I'll buy him dinner and coffee and we can talk. And, you know, he, he accepted my invitation and we ate and then we spent four hours uh, at Starbucks because just started asking all these questions. And it turned out that uh, he was really searching for the truth. And I gave it to him. I gave it to him for four hours. And, and he didn't become a Christian, but he, um, he came to church that Sunday and he's, he's, he's still not Christian, but he doesn't say that God does not exist anymore. In fact, he fears God, which is very important. But that's a long story. But, um, but, this, but he was an example of, you know, I want the truth person. And, and the truth, um, you know, hasn't set him free, but truth has, you know, is working in his life for sure. And the fourth person is, I need help person. And... And this person, um, you know, he could, this person could be masked and he, he could come as, he or she could come as a fighter. He could come as an I don't care person. I want the truth person. But if you really start talking to that person, what you realize is that, oh, they need help. They need healing. They need restoration. And so, you know, as we encounter these types of people or a combination or a mixture of these people, we need to consider um, two different approaches to communicating kingdom culture and communicating your Christian convictions and beliefs, right? And the first one is the emotional approach. This is the, uh, this is the sensitive approach. This is the, um, um, the pastoral approach. I think I put on there pastor versus professor. I'm not saying that you guys are going to become a pastor or a professor, but what I'm saying is pastoral approach is more of care and professor is more of like intellectual, um, our, you know, our conversation. That's why I put pastor and pastor. I have to think really hard to come up with, you know, two letter common letters. And I do that often. I think if you guys were with me last time, I threw all kinds of, you know, like three C's of love or two, whatever, and things like that. Anyways. So the first, uh, is the emotional approach. Second is the intellectual approach or the pastoral approach or the professor approach. 
Now, I think I put on your notes, I put slash stage. I actually uh, prefer stage. So if you guys have a pen, I would just kind of put a circle around stage because I believe that um, we have to all always start with the pastoral approach. Because at the end of the day, we have no idea where these people are coming from. Even though we have studied them, uh, we might, they might, when they ask a question, uh, let's say that you know, you've, uh, are just, it, they know that you're a Christian and they ask you a question, it might be just coming out of the blue. And if we do not approach their question with the pastoral uh, approach, um, then we could be misunderstanding their question and it could go bad really fast. And that's an example of what I faced as an art director in Hollywood. All right. We have to make sure that um, we go by not so much approaches, but we have to go by stages. And I would say that we approach all questions or all conversation first pastorally with care and then help them come to a intellectual or an intellectual stage where we could have a, a, a rational conversation. Without that stage, it can go bad really fast. And that, that Hollywood incident was a perfect example of that. Now, how do we, be, how do we care? How do we, how do we approach it uh, with a pastoral uh, approach? We have to ask as many questions as possible. In fact, I would say ask as many questions as they, as they will allow, right? Uh, you can say stuff like, um, that's a very good question. Is there a particular reason? Uh, why you ask that, you know, or you could say, uh, you can, if they make a statement, you can say, well, how did you come to that conclusion? Right. And I want to take you back to that Hollywood example. When she started going off and start bashing Christianity, had I known now what I knew, you know, then what I know now, I would have asked this question. I would say, wow, you know, you're very passionate about this topic. Um, what makes you, uh, so passionate about this and what makes you think the way you do? I would have asked something like that. And then maybe she, you know, she could have shared something. But as it turns out, I found out later on through another colleague at that company, you know, we talked and because we have to do the project because she walked out on me, right? So, you know, we we're talking and, you know, he was talking and I've known this guy for a really long time. We worked on a bunch of projects and, you know, he, he told me that uh, I heard you guys had a little thing and i'm like yeah it was very uncomfortable and he was like you know um just try to understand because you know um she has a homosexual brother and um you know he was discriminated at work and in fact he got you know beat up at a at a, at a bar so during that time you know it was there was a lot of co- in the news about you know homosexuality and how christianity were against us so she, she just kind of snapped you know she didn't she didn't really have anything against christianity she just kind of snapped and she was just venting you know she didn't have anything really against it and and because um you know i didn't ask questions i did not you know i wasn't pastoral and i was more like hey i'm a christian don't cross this line you know like and the only response to her was uh her only response could be was and she just put on that defensive mechanism and she just you know she basically flipped me off and then left. And so I called her. I, I, was, I felt so bad. And I, I called her and I didn't mention anything, but I just said, hey, I just wanted to apologize. Um, you know, I, act, I acted very badly. And, and as, it, as it turns out, she was like, oh, you know, 
had I known you're a Christian, I would have never said those things. And it's so embarrassing that she didn't know that. But like, she's like, you know, like, um, like she was so embarrassed when I told her that I'm Christian. She was so embarrassed that um, she didn't know what to say. And, and she just, the defensive mechanism just kicked in and she just, you know, said those things. So I told her, hey, if you ever want to just talk about it, um, you know, I'm willing to do that. But uh, we decided, you know, she's like, no, you know, we just keep it professional. We ended up working together again, but, you know, it was very awkward. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, you know, I feel like I missed my chance. You know, like God gives us like golden, you know, teaching moments and I, I missed my chance at that time. So it's very important, you guys. We have to, we have to uh, concentrate. We have to ask a lot of questions. And we have to um, concentrate on their answers. And we have to basically find out where they're coming from, right? And, and, you know, the issue is we should never answer anything. You know what I mean? If they're asking a question, we should never answer anything. We sh- our first response should be a question, right? And if that question's and they're like, oh, no, no, whatever, man. I just want to, yeah, I, I just want to know what, um, what this means. And then, then you can go into the intellectual, but... Our, our first response should always be a question. And I'll give, you another, I'll give you another example, right? You might actually encounter this a lot, right? I've encountered this a lot. It says, this person, this person could say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. Am I going to hell? You guys could really, if you look at this question, right? This is not an intellectual question, even though it's a question, right? But it's not an intellectual question. This is an emotional question. And so you have to find out where this person is coming from. If you answer this and the correct answer, intellectual answer is yes, you're going to hell. You guys, the conversation ends. And you know what? And I think that you will be missing a chance in the same way that I missed my chance. And I think the first response should be a question, right? And, and we'll find out, right? That it, it, by asking questions, can find out exactly where she's coming from. You can ask something like, I'll give you an example. You can ask something like, hey, are you saying, I just want to ask you a couple more questions to make sure that I understand you correct, correctly. Are you saying that um, you know that God exists and Jesus exists, but are you saying that you don't, you don't believe that, right? So you could ask that question. And if she says yes, or he, if she, if he or she, I say she a lot, not because I have anything against women. I'm so sorry. But when I write papers, I always write she, you know, like it's just something I do. But anyways, uh, so please forgive me if I just keep saying she for all my examples. So, um, so if he or she responds, yes, that's exactly it. You know that this person is not being rational, right? If you say that I know that God exists, but I don't believe, that's not a rational statement, right? And you can ask this question. You can say, if Christianity is true, would you believe it? And if this person was irrational, you know what our answer would be or his answer would be? Would be, no, I would not believe it. And you know what? This is uh, the case in many, many times. And you can also ask this. You can also say, are you saying then that you know that God does not exist? So, and so therefore you don't believe. And so are you going to hell? Are you asking that? And that person says, uh, yes to that. You have to have a follow up question. The follow up question, how do you know? that God does not exist, right? And this is where, you know, uh, I should mention that anytime, anytime anyone said, makes a truth claim, the burden of proof is on them. And realize that I haven't said anything yet. 
I haven't said anything to this person. So I don't have the burden of proof is not on me. The burden of proof is on them so far, right? They know that God does not exist, so they don't believe. Well, your question is, well, how do you know that God does not exist? And if you go on that conversation, uh, we know and we could figure out why and we could, you know, we can then strategize our conversation to cover that, right? Uh, another question could be, I, I don't, you know, you can say, are you saying that you don't know if God exists and you don't know if heaven or hell exists, but you're not convinced, so are you going to? hell you know so you could ask those kind of questions and based on the answer you can you know have a conversation i don't think our our first response should never be an answer an intellectual answer we have to be pastoral and we have to be asking a lot of questions so that we find out where they're coming from and and uh, the person might not even say you know any one of those right the person could say none of the above actually uh, my grandma just died and uh, and she didn't believe Jesus. I don't even know if she's ever heard of Jesus. And I would hate to think that she's burning in hell right now, right? So if, if that person says something like that, then you're going to be in a pastoral stage as long as it needs to be, right? You're ne- you might not even go to the internet intellectual stage. You might have just have to be pastoral and care for this person for a long time. But I think... Um, and you know what? If you approach it, you might even come out making a friend, right? Because, you know, when you show someone that you care and you're helping them heal and helping them restore, um, you might make a friend and you might have even deeper opportunity, uh, more opportunity to actually share that kingdom culture. So we really have to find out where this person is coming from. So let's say that um, you're, you know, conversing and then. Somehow, let's say that you get to the point of the intellectual approach. For us to, you know, share our knowledge and our intellect about whatever topic that we're talking about, whether it's the existence of God, uh, the problem of evil, or you know, all of those things, we have to know the answer. And the only way for us to uh, gain intellectual knowledge is to be intentional about learning. Right, we have to read, we have to watch, um, we have to learn. Right? Um, did I um, put on the? Did I give you guys the book recommendation, Samuel? Did I give you a book recommendation on there? Is it on there? Okay, good. Uh, there's two books that I want to recommend, and this is uh, the reason why I recommend these books um, is because it's such an easy read. It's fun read. Uh, it might be fun for me because I'm a nerd, but. Um, it's a fun read. Um, the first one is I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And this is by Norman Geisler and Frank Turek. Uh, these are great guys. They go on, uh, Frank Turek goes on a lot of debates and he's, he's actually pretty good. And the book is such a fun read, uh, but it will help you guys really learn uh, to converse uh, with other worldviews about uh, God. And I think it's, it'll be very helpful. It's, it's been so helpful for me too. The second one is Tactics by Gregory Kokel. And this is about strategy, about uh, communicating and talking with non-believers about the truth. And Gregory Kokel is the uh, founder and I believe the CEO of uh, Stand to Reason. And this guy is so smart. I had a conversation when I was working with Stand to Reason. I had an uh, opportunity to uh, talk with him and he's... I mean, he, when he talks, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm so lost. It just goes right over my head. But 
his book, he wrote his book very uh, read, uh, readably and it's, 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 uh, it's really comfortable and fun read. And it, real, it will really help you guys a lot. Uh, so these two books uh, is a good start for you guys to gain knowledge and have confidence uh, in, in this topic, the existence of God and all these other things. The important thing is to um, equip yourself, obviously. Can you imagine uh, a defense attorney? Um, going to court unprepared, right? Not only is the is the lawyer going to lose, uh, the lawyer would uh, not be representing the client faithfully. So um, we have to prepare ourselves. Um, knowledge, uh, we cannot share what we don't know, right? So uh, ask a lot of questions and understand uh, their worldviews, uh, where they are, uh, where they're coming from, and, and prepare yourself well. Um, Let's do another example. Let's do another example. I think this is helpful. And this will actually um, be a good segue to the next topic. And the next topic uh, is, is a topic that I think that comes up most between a, uh, between a conversation between um, uh, Christians and non-believers. And it's the problem of evil. Um, why does God allow suffering and evil? And this is the topic, a conversation. If, if, in fact, um, uh, I asked uh, 70 college leaders um, who does campus ministry, I, I asked them, what do you guys want to talk about? And they said, what if God is so good, what does he allow evil? And this is what they're dealing with. So, but, um, so I want to I bring that as an example, and we can talk about that. Okay? Let's say someone uh, comes up to you and says, if God is good, uh, why did he allow something terrible like COVID-19? Why does God allow something this evil, right? So again, based on what we learned, you have to find out where the question is coming from, right? Uh, you can ask something like, yeah, yeah, this is, uh, this is horrible. So many people are affected by this um, and it's crazy. But the question has to come out, right? You have to say, well, how did your family do? Is everyone okay, right? And if they say no, oh, no, we're all good, man. Uh, I just wanted to know why God allows uh, something bad like this, right? Uh, and well, then you can, if someone says that, you can go straight to the intellectual stage. You just say, God has to allow suffering and evil because of love. And then you just, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, right? But if this person says, yeah, we lost someone, and then, and then you'll be in that emotional, you'll be in that pastoral stage for as long as it's necessary. All right. And um, again, when your objective is to care for that person and to help them heal and restore, you know, um, I think it would be wonderful if you make a friend and then that friend, uh, you will have uh, you know, a long time to, to share your kingdom culture with. So, I think um, pastoral, we, can't, we can never underestimate or undervalue um, uh, uh, the importance of being pastoral. And you don't have to be a pastor. Being pastoral just means that you care for them, right? So let's say you're talking to this person and somehow uh, you help them get to from the emotional stage. And now uh, they're at the intellectual stage and we can have a rational conversation. And I think we can answer then, you know, what does God allow suffering and evil? And we, let's talk about that. Um, so I want you guys, I want you guys to know this. And, and why does God, um, 
if God is so good, why, why does God allow suffering and evil? And I know that this may, may sound counterintuitive, but God allows suffering and evil because he loves us and because he wants us to love him. And this is the important part. Look, when, when God was about to create this world, he could have had three options, right? Uh, first one is not create anything at all. He could have been uh, content in, in his perfect relationship with the Trinity and just live like that for eternity, right? That, was, that could have been his option number one. Option number two could have been he could have created a world with only good. And I think that sounds pretty good, right? But there's more to, more to that than meets the eye. Uh, or uh, option number three, he could have created this world that we're living in right now where good and evil exist. And let me tell you that, that a world with good and evil, both good and evil, is the only scenario where true love is possible, right? God loves us and created us to respond to that love with genuine love of our own. If God created the world with only good and we are pre-wired or, if you will, pre-programmed to do only good, to choose uh, him um, and love him, well, that wouldn't be love, right? We would be robots. Uh, I'll give you an example. Ladies, um, if a guy comes up to you and says, hey, I love you, and, and guess what? You love me too. Well, that makes no sense. That wouldn't be love. But if a guy comes to you and says, you know, um, I love you um, and I'm going to show you my love and I'm going to prove my love to you and you have all the time in the world to respond to me and, and the choice is yours, right? And if, that, and, and if you choose to love that guy back, it's because you chose to. And because you chose freely, you guys can experience love, right? We don't want to be robots, right? And God doesn't want this either. He wanted us to have a a genuine love relationship with us. But in order to do that, he has to give us free. uh, He has to give us the freedom to choose to love him. In order to freely choose him, uh, we have to have good and evil. We have to have right and wrong. This is is very, very important that we know this. Only in this scenario where good and evil exist, we can experience love with God and others. So, so some choose good, some choose evil. And when evil is chosen, there is suffering. And we all know that, right? And I'm going to be honest with you, the, the opposite, the, you know, the atheistic intellects don't have any problems with this argument, right? But they do say this. They say, okay, cool, I'll give you that. Uh, but what about natural disasters, right? That has nothing to do with human choice, right? Well. I would say it's not true at all. I think natural disasters uh, happen because of human freedom. And let me tell you what I mean by that. You guys, it's only a disaster, right, when human freedom is involved. If a natural disaster like tsunami, earthquake, or tornado, hurricane, or whatever, let's say that it happened in a deserted island in the middle of nowhere where there's no human being. Is that still evil? Is that still a disaster? Or is it just nature doing its thing? It's only evil. It's only a disaster when people are involved and people are harmed in some way. Well, wherever natural disasters 
occur. The people living there is there by choice. I know this is hard to accept, but it's there by, there by, they're, they're there by choice. And they knew the risk. Uh, they knew the risk of the natural disasters that's prone in that area. Tsunamis only happen in coastal cities. But we choose to live in coastal cities because it's beautiful, right? You think, you, you think that um, you know, tsunamis only happened recently and we, didn't, we don't know about it and it's all a surprise to us? I don't think so. We, tsunamis have been happening all throughout history. We know exactly where tsunamis are going to hit and they're all, they always hit coastal cities. We're still there. And you know what? It's one of the most expensive places to live. And earthquake, I don't know if you guys remember, I don't know if you guys are old enough to be, uh, to remember the 1991 uh, Northridge earthquakes. I, I lived through it. I, was, I lived in Northridge at that time and it was the most scariest thing I've ever experienced. And guess what? Many people moved out. They said, they're saying, no way I'm going to live in this. This is the scariest thing ever, right? But guess what? As many as left, that many moved in. And they knew about the earthquake, right? They moved in because the real estate, was, the house, the prices of homes dropped, and they wanted to live there. They know. They, we all know that a big one hits, California could be an island, right? But we all live here. We all live here by choice. It's the same thing with tornadoes. It's the same thing with um, hurricanes. Tornado is called Tornado Alley. Why? Because that's where tornadoes happen. But we all live there. And we, all re- we always rebuild. And we're always shaking our you know, fist. We're all shaking our fist at God. Why would you allow something like that? Right? COVID-19 was a, it's the same thing. COVID-19 didn't spread because, you know, it was, you know, God is evil, you know. COVID-19 spread because total people's total disregard for others' safety, right? If the moment COVID hit and we knew and, and people made a big deal out of it, if we all went into our homes, into our closets and, you know what, for the sake of others and sake of my safety, I am going to lock myself in the house. And not do anything, right? No. You know, my area, there was a party every Friday night, every Saturday. There's a party. They were not wearing their masks. Are you kidding? And you know what? If you look at my area, the, the number of positive COVID cases is outrageous, right? And it's because they, they don't care. They, they'd rather party. They, they'd rather have their freedom than to care. And we believe that, we, honestly, we believe that freedom is worth a lot more than natural disasters. It's not about God. It's about us, right? I see it. And this is, you guys, and again, this is another good argument. And um, you know what's the sad? The, the saddest part is that, do you know why most Christians leave the faith? In fact, um, you actually read a lot these days. There's so many like high profile Christians living the faith, uh, like worship leaders, like pastors, and they're leaving the faith. Why? Why are they leaving? It's because they can't reconcile all the evil that is in this world with a loving God. And I, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand. It's because they don't have this knowledge. They don't, they try to understand. Um, they try to reconcile that God is, is good and he cannot possibly allow evil. And 
if God allows evil, then he doesn't exist. Uh, that just, that is not rational. It's not rational thought. And in fact, you know, non-Christians, atheists would say that the argument that I just made for, you know, what does God allow evil? What is the you know, natural disasters? They would concede that that is a good argument. I didn't make up these arguments, right? I studied these and, it, and it's because, and I gather these uh, studies and it's because atheists agree that it's a good argument, right? But um, Christians, we do not know, um, the, unfortunately, pastors, worship leaders, you know, they're not taught this, this rational thought and they leave, they leave the uh, Christian faith. Right, so um, you should have confidence in this area. Many, like I said, many atheistic intellects are willing to accept these arguments. Right, but here's the issue. Now, there is a sometimes uh, you could run into some really, really, really smart uh, atheists, and and even though they will give you the first two arguments that I made, they might ask this question, and if they ask this question, we cannot answer it. And we would have to consider that's a very good question, but I can't answer that question for you. And this is the question. And I just want to give you this question because uh, just in case that somebody might be actually smart enough to ask it. And it's, and it's, and it's again, a problem evil, but it's actually a problem of evil and good. And they, they pose the question this way. I'll give you an example. It says, they could say something like, um, okay, so God watches... Uh, uh, six million Jews being massacred, right? Millions of people dying from disasters and diseases. And, um, you know, God, because God is God and he's all powerful, um, you know, he's watching this real time, right? And because God is powerful, he has the power to stop it, right? And if he doesn't stop it, right, there must, and this is because he's a good God, there must be a good moral justification for it they would ask what could it possibly be uh that justification that he would allow and he would not stop this evil from happening and if that person asks whoever that person is if they ask that question you just clap your hands and go that is a good question and you know what we can't answer that i can't answer that but there's a good reason why we can't answer this question for us to answer this question we have to assume God-like perspective of time, matter, and space. And we can't do that. That's, that's God's, right? We cannot have a God-like perspective of, of time, matter, and space. And so we cannot do that. So, and, and neither can the person asking the question, right? So the person cannot do it because, number one, he doesn't believe God exists. So he cannot have a God-like perspective question. It's a, it's a conundrum that we cannot answer, right? But uh, we can say this, though. Can God stop evil and get rid of evil? Can God stop evil, right? Number one, he can't. He can't contradict himself. He can't stop evil. Why? Because if he stops evil, the only, then only good exists, right? And if only good exists, that will introduce the creation scenario number two, right? Where only good exists and, and he doesn't want a bunch of robots. So he wants genuine love. So he cannot create a, um, a, a world where only good exists. So he cannot get rid of it because he cannot contradict himself, right? Number two, 
And this is by law of contradiction. Uh, number two, we don't want God to get rid of evil, right? Because um, if every time someone does anything evil, and then and then his reaction is let's get rid of that evil. Well, guess what? None of us will be around to enjoy that world because we'll be all gone. There will be no one here because everyone is evil, right? Uh, we don't want. We do not want God to get rid of evil. Just 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 the way it is. And number three, he has done it in the past, and we don't like it. We definitely don't like it. Uh, I'll give you an example, right? Um, uh, he warned the, you know, the Canaanites who were like, you know, torturing babies and sacrificing babies on a, on a hot molten, uh, you know, uh, made up a God. And, and they would sacrifice babies this way. And they would, they were just evil. And God warned them and that you, you, got, you better stop this. Or I'm going to do something about it. And they didn't stop. So what did God do? God says, uh, Israelites go and annihilate the Canaanites, right? And which they obey and do. Now, there's one time, right? And God got rid of evil. And the, one of the biggest arguments that, you know, uh, the atheists make is how can God, you know, annihilate a whole race, genocide, you know? And like, well, there's one time God got rid of evil and now, you, you know, you complain it, right? So we don't, we don't like it. We don't like it when God gets rid of evil. And, and there's another prime example is the flood, right? Um, God literally got rid of all evil, right? And and for atheists, they don't even consider this to be a real story. They think this; they can't even fathom the thought of God just getting rid of the entire world except for one family. So they think that this is the Christians' you know uh, imagination. It's just a, it's just a fairy tale story. They don't think that it actually happened because they can't fathom it. We don't like it. We don't like it when God gets rid of evil, right? And so. Uh, the reason for suffering and evil is human freedom. And we love that freedom. We make conscious, free choices, which we love to do. And this has incredible rewards and incredible consequences too. And it affects us all. So, uh, but check this out. God's plan is so awesome, right? Because he promises an eternal future where freedom, right? And perfect holiness coexist. It doesn't happen. It can't happen in this world. But he promises a future where freedom and perfect holiness uh, coexist. And you know what? We are living out that incredible promise and his perfect plan. So we just have to wait a little longer, right? And another good thing about, um, uh, it's not a good thing about existence of good and evil, but a, you know, a thing about existence of good and evil is that it serves as one of the greatest evidence for the existence of God. And we call that the moral argument. And I'm sure you guys have heard this moral argument before, but the reason why um, I bring up, there's many other um, existence for God's exist, uh, evidence for God's existence or arguments for God's existence. But I think the moral argument is uh, the easiest one to remember. Uh, I think it's the, I think it's the best argument. And, um, and I think that um, this topic of morality uh, can be taught, can be um, the conversation of um, morality can be had with anyone. So I think that's why I want to uh, uh, introduce you guys uh, this moral argument. And I think that would be helpful.